Let's go to uh, John chapter 15. We're picking up our series Close to Jesus. We're in the upper room, and uh, we're coming to the last couple of discussions on this, and so you can pick it up in John 15. Now, uh, we didn't hit on this on Sunday because we had an Easter message on Sunday, but the, the previous Sundays and Wednesday nights, we've been looking at uh, John chapter 13, and then we'll go through chapter 16. Tonight we're obviously in 15. So there's some different things that we've seen. I'd ask you, maybe you can think of some things that we've seen so far. It's hard to kind of catch everything up. Uh, but if you remember, a few things have happened. Our theme verse, of course, is John 13, 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And so we're in the upper room, we're in the final hours before the crucifixion. Of course, Judas leaves, Jesus predicts some things, some difficult things. Jesus starts to reveal some things about his deity. We looked at that last Wednesday night as well, and how he said, I'm going to go to the Father, and uh, I'm going to, the, to a place. So he's giving them some things that are difficult for them to understand. We also had the, we also had the, uh, the washing of the feet happen in this room. And now we come to another familiar passage, but it's interesting to put it in the context of this final conversation. So, in John chapter 15, I think it would be helpful to read the whole section. And as we read the whole section, usually what happens on a Wednesday night is we get some good discussion going, but sometimes it takes us a little while to, you know, loosen it up and get there. So, do this for me. If you've got a pen or something, as we read through it, I'm going to read through it a little bit slowly and deliberately. Start kind of marking some things that stand out to you, and let's just get ready to engage right from the start. Good? Good plan? Sound like a plan? You with me? Mike gave me a thumbs up, so we'll do it. Here we go. John 15 and verse number one. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. So if we were to just put together like a word cloud, how many of you have seen those? You know what I'm talking about when I say, who knows what I mean by a word cloud? It's like, just one of us. Does anybody know? Do you actually know what I mean or no? So it's like you take, a, you take it, whether it's a, a film or a paragraph or whatever, and 
you start to write all the words. And the words that appear a lot, those are the big words, right? And then the words that appear a little bit, they're the little words. And, they, they, and you, you take all the words and you put them in a group. So if we were to do that here, what would some of the big words be in the word cloud? Start thinking about it for a minute, and then you tell me. So look at the passage, think about it. What were the words that kind of came up over and, and over here as we went through this passage? So... The big words first. Somebody give me one. One of them. Abide. abide. I heard abide. What else did I hear? Fruit. Fruit. Yep. What else? I can't hear you. Vine. The vine. Yep. Love. Love is one. What else? There's a branch. Branch appears quite a bit. Father. Father. Yep. Absolutely. What else? Yeah, somebody said abide, right? I think we got them all. So all of these, all of these, they, um, they come up. There are notes right out there if you want to grab them. Oh, you got them. You're just on top of it all. Get the, you got the tater tot casserole all served out down there? Plenty left over. Plenty left, just saying, huh? All right, good stuff. So we're in John 15. So all of the... The words that really stand out here, we've got them. So, so, so just a quick recap. I heard we said abide, the vine, the branches, love, the father, um, fruit. These are kind of the big concepts in this passage. Now, the overall illustration. So if this is, there's an illustration here or a, um, a picture a, a, that's, that we're being given, it is of what? Not real complicated, right? Like, no, it's a vineyard, right? So in the vineyard, and this would be a grape vineyard, which would be a very common, just be a very common thing in the land of Israel in the day, the idea of a vineyard and vines. So he starts off and he gives them this picture. So obviously from a, obviously from a illustration standpoint, it's a very common, commonly seen thing for them. They'd be familiar. They would see vineyards and, and people working them pretty often. Now, when you come to verse number one, and he introduces it, though, I want you to notice something. He says in verse number one, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. So what is the, what is the, um, the point of emphasis in that first statement? What would you say the point of emphasis is in the first statement there? I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Point of emphasis. True. Yep. Oh, you didn't. I got such polite people. Right. No, that's good. You're right. True, I think. True. I am the true vine. So, as opposed to what? As opposed to what? Um, fake, like the um, false creatures. And okay. So, if, so it could be in contrast to like false prophets. Okay. So. I can, I can definitely understand where that would come from. The true vine, yep? I think it's, it's a correlation between the vine and the husbandman, which is God. Yep. And God is in control, and the vine is being controlled by the husbandman. Isn't the husbandman the groomer of the, of the vineyard? Yep, he's the vine dresser, the that's vineyard what I, keeper. I, that's what I think it is. You're absolutely right. So you're absolutely right about that, the overall picture. The, the picture is correct, but what is the significance of him saying, I am the, he could just say, I am the vine, you're, you're the branches, which he does, but he says, he starts off by saying, I'm the true vine. Nate, what do you got? So, so would the true vine be like the 
I think there's an application there for sure that the true vine, the original. Let's go to Seth in the back. He's the original vine. He's the true vine. I think that interpretation is exactly what's going on here because not only would the Jewish disciples have be familiar with the agricultural presence of the vine, but they were also well-versed in the Old Testament. And in their Old Testament context, when you, talk, when you spoke about the vine, what was the vine a reference to in the Old Testament? Seth said it if you were paying attention, if you could hear him. Israel. The vine was representative of Israel. We're not going to turn to all the passages, but on, on your notes, I gave you all of the cross-references. And there are a lot of them. This isn't, just like a, this isn't just like a one-off, like, oh yeah, over here, Israel is mentioned as the vine. It occurs all throughout. So like in Psalm. In Psalms, in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in one, two, three places in Ezekiel, and in two different places in Hosea. So in multiple places in the Old Testament, and some of these are a little bit lengthier passages. In fact, in one of the references, in one of the prophets, it speaks about Israel as being a, um, a vineyard that had become corrupted and run over with brambles and briars and all of that. So when he says, I am the true vine, with them having the context of Israel as the vine, now what significance do you think this bears? Or what significance do you think this has? What's going on now when he says this? I am the true vine. Does, that, is, does he mean that Israel, Israel is a false vine? Is, 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 do you think that's what he's saying? What's that? Well, there are a lot of weeds, there were a lot of weeds growing around the vine. That's absolutely right. I think it's not the sense of like true versus false, but I think like what Nate said is a little more like Israel is not the, Israel was not the ultimate vine. Like Israel, you think of Israel as your vine, right? But before there even was Israel, there was Jesus. Before there was even the nation of Israel, Jesus was there. And so he says, yes, you've been thinking of Israel as your vine, but I am the true vine. I am the true vine. What were you going to say, Mike? So is it kind of like pointing to the, how he's a fulfillment of the law? I think the fulfillment of prophecy, the fulfillment of the law, theologically, yeah, that would be all tied up in this. Yes? Well, I think it's, well, no, we spoke about that a couple weeks ago. It's more of Jesus revealing himself to them, right? <laughs> so, so there's this deeper, so, you, so now what does that mean? So, so now we're, we've got it theologically grounded, right? But what does that mean, like, personally for these people? Yeah, Mike. Take away 
Okay, so you're getting ahead of me, which is fine. I want to just stay on this idea of the true vine, though, before we get there. And what would that have meant for the disciples? Like when it comes to, like, what is changing here? What? All the promises that were given to Israel are fulfilled in Christ. And he's not saying that you're not part of the plan, but your branches that have to abide in the vine. Right. And I think there's, a, there's a, another thing. Why are the religious leaders so upset with Jesus? Because in a sense, what's happening here is all of your you know, disciples, so hey disciples, hey Pharisees, hey everybody, all of your identity up until now has been tied up in what? The law, your ethnicity, Israel, I mean, everything about who they were. Like, we think we have a sense of national pride, right? We're like, well, we're Americans, you know, America. You know, we're all, and I'm all for all that kind of stuff. I'm very patriotic. But, like, the level of national pride that we have here compared to what it was in the first century Judaism, it's like we got nothing on that. I mean, because to them, it wasn't just a nation. It was, it was like the essence of who they were as people. And so that is why Jesus was such a threat to the Pharisees. Because when Jesus comes and he says, hey, I've fulfilled the law. I'm the true vine. What he's saying is, and he even gave that illustration. Remember the illustration about the wineskins? And he's like, you can't put, you can't put new wine in old wineskins or else what's going to happen to them? They're going to burst. So basically what he's saying is the old order is going away and there's a new order coming. And it's that, it's not that Jesus comes and says, hey, I've got a new idea for you. It's that Jesus introducing himself as the true vine is really questioning what the anchor of your very soul is. Where is it? Yeah, Richard. It's all about truth. Some people don't want to hear the truth. And the uh, so-called priests of that time, of course, they had to answer the role anyway. But, sure. Uh, they were afraid of him because they couldn't, they couldn't refute what he was saying. Right. So they feared him, and they knew that he was a stumbling block, and they had to get rid of him one way or the other. Exactly. And they did. Right. And the people, unfortunately, went along with them. You are correct. Absolutely. So think about this idea, though, of, of Jesus being the true vine. The vine is, from, is that from which life is derived. For them, their mindset was, my whole identity is, is all wrapped up in, in Israel. And Jesus says, no, it's not Israel, it's, it's me. That is the same offensiveness of Christianity that exists today. Because Jesus has never been one, the message of Jesus has never been one where he says, okay, you can add me into your system. Jesus says, you have to completely crucify the old life, and I am the replacement. I am, I am your new everything. And so, it's a, so, so really, when people come to Christ, there can sometimes be this crisis of decision point, where the question is, am I willing to let go of everything that I've previously staked my life on, my identity on? And find that in Christ. Find that in who he is. 
And, and for many people, that's a struggle that they cannot get past because it's another exclusive claim in the passage. We saw that last time when we looked at John 14. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now he says, another chapter later, I am the true vine. My Father is the husbandman. And then he, he starts to say in verse number two, every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges, purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. In the immediate context of verse number two, in, the, in everything that's just happened and some prior things Jesus has said, what do you think this idea of the branch that bears not fruit being taken away? Like there's been different theories on interpreting this passage, but I think in its most immediate context, what's the branch being taken away or who's the branch being taken away right here? Well, now we're, I, I think that he could, because remember, he says that he's going to say you're the branches, right? So I, I think it's a reference to what just happened with Judas. Because just a few minutes ago, he says, one of you has the devil. One of you is going to betray me. This is all in the same conversation flow. It's all in the same, within, within an hour or two of conversation. And so all the branches here that are bearing fruit are, indicate, are indicating that they're receiving life from the vine. But, but those that are not, the, the, the father comes in and he, he takes them out. He removes them. There have been some people that have interpreted this passage to mean that, you know, somebody could be a true believer and then they could eventually fall away and be removed, that they could lose their salvation. And if you just took this passage alone, I could see how someone would extrapolate that. But if you harmonize it with all of scripture, you're going to have a serious problem with that interpretation because the bulk of scripture points to the security of the believer, that it's not us that keep ourselves in Christ, Christ keeps us in him. It's not of our works, it's him. So that would be, I think, a very problematic interpretation. So given the context, I'm gonna say this is the idea here is that there are branches that appear to be part of the vine, but there's, they're dead, there's nothing there. They're the Judases, the, the, the unbelievers that are, Jesus would also talk about how there's Heirs among the wheat, right? Where he talks about how there's goats among the sheep. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So I think this would fit Jesus' overall theme of that, that there sometimes are even false believers, false believers att att attached to the vine, or they look like they're connected to the vine, but they're dead. There's no life there. And the Father is the one that knows. We don't know. We're not the fruit inspectors. We're not the judge. The husbandman is the father. He knows what's going on. He knows who is truly connected to the vine. Now, he gives them, and I think, again, I think verse number three is an assurance verse, right? So in other words, the father's going to take branches out, but look at verse number three. He looks at his disciples, and he, and he uses the plural pronoun, when, and you see that translated ye, which is a plural. He says, now you all, you all, Judas is gone, are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. This brings us back to way earlier in the conversation. Does anybody know what, what part of the conversation? You've got to go back a few weeks. Do you know what part of the conversation this brings us back to in this series? No? The statement, you're clean. We've seen this already before. A, a, just a little bit earlier in the same, what's that? Foot washing. In the foot washing. 
when, when, when Peter says, Jesus, well, wash all of me. And Jesus says, no, you are clean. You just need your feet washed. Chapter 13, verse 11. Thank you very much. That's what it is. And now here he says it again. It's a verse of assurance that, yes, there are branches that are going to be purged, but, hey, you guys, you're clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. Why? Because one has already been purged from the group. He's gone. Jesus said, what you're going to do, go do it. So, now he gives them some instruction in verse number four. Oh, the other thing I want to know, you want you to notice, look back at verse number two. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, what's he do? Verse two, he takes it away. But every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it so that it does what? Brings more fruit. This is the idea of pruning. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, the idea is... Uh, right, it's, it's, he's cleaning it. He's pruning it, is the idea. The best way to understand this is the branch is being pruned. All of the, all of the, the suckers, and uh, if you've ever done any arborist work, like all of the, 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 the... Anything that would distract from the fruit production of the branch, the pruner is taking all of that away. But this tells you one thing. We learn something about good branches here. There's bad branches. They're false branches, and they get discarded. But what do we learn? There's a few things we learn about true branches here. What would you, what would you say are some things we learn about true branches in this passage? True vine, yeah. Yeah. Sure. You're always growing. You're always bearing fruit, but to what degree? To what degree is a good point. What else does that mean? Josh. One of the things we're thinking about in this context is if you're not experiencing any purging in your life, if you aren't experiencing any kind of pruning, any kind of discomfort, you're probably not doing something right. Sure. Which yeah. Is, you uh, should. Absolutely. Yeah. Returning to Josh's point, um, I was going to uh, some of my thing, and one of the verses that I'm going to supplement is a um, those who walk in the righteous and righteousness may have lots of trials. Um, sure. So, we, what have we learned so far? So, like what Travis said is that the there's going to be a continual process of fruit production. Not always to the same extent. It's, there's going to be discomfort in your life. So the idea that, well, I'm a Christian, I'm with Christ, so everything's going to be great. Well, no, there's going to be some discomfort. That means that God's at work in your life. What else? I think there's, there's yeah. Absolutely. Jim, what were you going to say? You said uh, 
Sure. I think there's, I think that's true. I think there's also something here that would help us to remember not to be overly judgmental. Why? Any thoughts on that? Well, since we're always purging, that means that there's always something to purge. Sure. In, yeah. In ourselves, in, as well as others. And so, take out the... Some humility would be good there, right? Yeah. Giving up like a fleshly lifestyle to be part of the vine. Yeah. To bear fruit. And you know, every there's, there's portions of your life you're going to give up to get closer to the Lord. And and to pick up on that, all branches are not at the same level of development. Right? Like all, all branches are not where they need to be yet. And what happens sometimes, and I've I've observed this, like I've had people in ministry, like, say things that just bother me. Like, they'll be like, well, you know, those people, they said all those people came to know Jesus, but, you know, where's the fruit in their lives? Where's the fruit in their lives? And I'm just like, I've, I'm not that old, but I've been at this long enough to, to know that, like, like I, I was thinking of somebody we baptized several months ago. Their testimony, they told me this, well, I got saved years ago in California. I know that God spoke to my heart. I believe in Jesus. But it wasn't until, and this is now like 10 years, I think, I don't remember the timeline. This is like 10 years later. He's like, but you know what? Now I'm ready to go all in. And you know what happened? Like the purging and pruning process, it got delayed, right? It got delayed. But I know people, they just are on their, their, you know, theological high horse and they're like, well, you know, you shall know them by their fruits. And like, well, wait a minute. Who's the, who's the one who knows about the fruit in the passage? Who's the one doing the fruit inspection? Yeah, it's the Father, right? It's not me. My job isn't to compare my branchiness to your, you know, it's not like, well, look at my fruit, look at your fruit. In, in fact, if that's my situation, I'm probably not being as fruitful as I think that I am. Seth? Yeah. In fact, you're ahead of us. We might as well get there. So let me, let me pick up on what you said. He says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. This is exactly Seth's point now. As the branch, doesn't say will not or might be able to, the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. And now I love this. It's like, so in case you're not picking up what I'm putting down, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. Like what Jesus, what I mean here is, the branch, that branch can do, isn't doing anything unless it's connected to the vine. The vine gets the, gets the sustenance from the earth, and it produces fruit in the branch. Branch does nothing on its own. It's all a product of God in us and through us. Yes, sir, Bill. I used to always take that verse referred to what you said, leading others to 
Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness. I think that's the real fruit that you have. Yeah. I've heard it, I've heard it both ways, like um, you know, leading others to Christ, etc. But it's very interesting that when Jesus continues the conversation, he talks about how important it is to love one another. And I think I agree with you that the, the proper way to think of the fruit, well, actually, I wouldn't limit it in either regard. I think Jesus keeps it broad intentionally here, because basically the fruit is anything God produces in your life. It's like anything God produces in your life, that we have the fruit of the Spirit that Paul explains. I would start to quote them, but then I always, I just can't do it. I have so many verses memorized, but I cannot get the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, peace, patience, kindness, you know, meekness, temperance. Be a really nice person. There you go. That's in there somewhere. So, but all these things are not what we do, what he does, but also, like, it's going to impact your witnessing for Christ. It's going to impact bringing other people. The point is, it's not us doing it. It's, it's the Spirit's work through our remaining in Christ. That word abide, it literally means remain. Put your dwelling place there. Stay there. Stay close. Yes? Um, also, fruit produces seeds. So, like, and, and there's multiple verses that, like, the seeds are what something like, like sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, we can't do that unless we're following Christ. Yeah. Yeah, I will say from an interpretive standpoint, you have to be careful when you take a parable or an illustration that you don't like keep extrapolating like, you know, like the, the, the fruit has seeds and then there's birds that get the seeds and then they carry them. And the, like it's, it's best with a parable to just to look at the, the, the most straightforward point that Jesus is making in it and to say, yeah, God's going to do God's going to produce things in your life. How does he do it? By purging you, by pruning you, by keeping you connected to him. For without me, verse 5, ye can do nothing. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. It's interesting. Up until now, he's been saying ye or you, right? He's been saying, you are the branches, you do this. And now he shifts to the third person, right? And he doesn't say, if you, in verse 6, he says, if a man, if a person, this is like mankind, if a person doesn't abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. But if ye abide in me, do you see the difference in the, in the change, do you see the change here? When he's speaking about the ones who aren't going to abide, he speaks in the third person. When he talks about the ones who are going to abide, or to the disciples, he says, If ye abide in me, if ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. So you could also extend the fruit production here to answered prayer. God's, either way, God's working in their life. Verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit and that is how you become my disciples jesus says the production comes from me jesus says through you you bear fruit any closing thoughts as we yes
So I'm glad you said that, because here's the deal. And this is an important distinction. None of those things equate to abiding in Christ. Right? And I think you understand that, but it's, it's, it's worth saying. Reading your Bible, praying, going to church, witnessing, like, do, take the whole list of good Christian activities, right? None of those things equal abiding in Christ. There's, there's no guarantee if you do all those things, you abide in Christ. Those are tools. Those are a means of keeping you connected to Christ. But you can do all of those things, but do them from the wrong motivation or do them just out of a sense of law. And some people are very disciplined people. And they just, just like they get up at five o'clock every day, they eat cornflakes every day and they go to the gym for 37 minutes every day. And then they do, you know, they're routine people. And some people have that that's, and you can base your Christianity on your ability to keep your Christian routine does not equal being abiding in Christ, having that deep sense. Now, but not to diminish what you're saying, because you make a good point. Don't expect to abide in Christ if you're just going to neglect all of those things, right? But the motivation definitely be, is, is crucial in that. Yes, Right. But sometimes God is doing some kind of pruning that maybe we don't understand, you know, what the even the person might not understand what they're walking through. So that that really speaks to me because sometimes we do we tend to do that humans yeah. look at the outward instead of realizing God is maybe doing a point of pruning right. in a person's life Yeah, you can't you don't know what's going on or how long God's process is gonna take in their life. We've gotta be patient. Well, sorry. Just focus on loving them. Focus on loving people, and that's what Jesus is going to say next: <laughs> love each other. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> it's always like yes, love everyone until it's like, and that one there too. It's like, oh, and then we struggle, right? So, all right. Any other thoughts before we? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I can't. I'm, I I couldn't hear what he was saying. Oh, it's all right to come to church without, with inferior motives because God can purify our motives. It's going off the rails up here. I can't. I can't. It's okay. Okay. I think what you said was it's okay to go to church with inferior motives because God can purify our motives. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's that is true. Sometimes. Sometimes people are like, well, I'm not going to do it because I feel like I'd be a hypocrite. Well, why don't, you, why don't you take the step anyway? Why don't you open your Bible anyway? Why don't you pray anyway? Why don't you go to church anyway and say, God, you can, you can purify these motives. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. Anything else? Awesome. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up tonight. 
Lord, we do love you, and uh, thank you so much for just the opportunity tonight to look at this passage and see how you speak to us through it. I pray that you'd bless the next few minutes as we spend some time praying. I pray that you'd help us be um, just focused and compassionate and fervent in our prayers. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.